This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Tuesday, July 20th, 2010. I'm Caleb Brown. Risk and uncertainty are different. Risk is measurable, or at least estimable. It exists along some distribution of outcomes. Uncertainty is uncertain. It's not clear where it will appear next or what impact it will have. It doesn't behave like a risk. So how are heads of various federal agencies going to regulate the uncertainty in the financial system? Peter Van Doren is editor of Regulation Magazine. He comments. Frank Knight in the 1920s drew a distinction between risk and uncertainty. And the key distinction, as far as he puts it, is risk is things that you're susceptible to that you can measure. And uncertainty are the things you're susceptible to that you can't measure. That is, there's some known distribution of how this thing might pan out, but there's no known distribution of how this thing might uh, pan out. So he draws that distinction. So when people like Barney Frank and Chris Dodd talk about systemic risk, what is it that we're supposed to think that they're talking about? Well, if you wanted to think of it as um, risk rather than uncertainty, remember, risk is... um, random sampling from a universe of things and with known probability. And so you'd say, how many financial disasters have we had? And what does what the universe of those things look like? Um, Rogoff and, and uh, Carmen Reinhardt's book on the history of financial crises actually would be a place to start. They have, what, 800 or something like that? I mean, they have an effect Let's trust them that, that they have the universe of financial crises. And if one thinks that the physics of them are the same, then you that gives you the boundaries of, of what happens in financial crises in, the, in 2008 being the latest installment in that time series. But notice the title of their book, which is This Time It's Different, i.e. it's not clear. Well, we in fact, it is clear this... We don't have a great ability to see um, what the causes of the next one will be, and in some sense, each one's different, Uh, and so. And to Knight's point, he says, not only is our risk the things you can measure and uncertainty the things you can't measure, but the probability of uncertainty is something you simply cannot know. You are not able to to access that information at all. By definition. Right. And economists have another word for these things, of course, and they're shocks. You know what happens, and uh, we go, oops, and it's like, hmm, we didn't see this coming, all all that language. The... the, um, Someone like me, I mean, I've been thinking this week, which is... um, it's very difficult for elites to tell people we don't know. Think of our foreign policy, right? We we don't know how to uh, run other countries' business and make sure things don't uh, go wrong for us, et cetera, et cetera. It's similar in the financial world. and But I was thinking this week also of another example where we have an, anal- an, an analog to the systemic risk regulator. And that's the scientific advisory committees in the FDA and the discussion of Avandia, the diabetes drug that we just had a meeting last week. So again, make believe we're drawing lessons from the FDA world and then thinking about how the systemic risk regulator world might work 
uh, given the FDA is a track record. And again, think of how much more advantage we have on the FDA side, which is we have clinical trials. We have random assignment of people to experimental group and control group. We have what most of us would agree is knowledge. We actually have data on when you give people these doses of this thing and you monitor them over time, these many heart attacks, strokes, and things happen. We'll notice in the FDA Advisory Committee, unlike the Systemic Risk Regulator, the FDA Advisory Committees are composed just of scientists or medical doctors. The Systemic Risk Committee is going to be the heads of agencies, the Fed, the FDIC, the SEC, the CFTC, etc. They're political animals, not scientists. So when we brought together the Scientific uh, Advisory Committee for Evandia, notice what we had was disagreement. Even though they had clinical trials, even though there's some risk that's greater than zero, they disagreed about how bad the risk was, whether it was worth it or not. I heard a discussion on NPR between two well-trained, well-schooled, extremely intelligent doctors, one of whom said, Avandi is no problem, another of whom said, this was the worst thing since, and you fill in the blank. Okay, the next time the economy looks like something's going wrong and then the systemic risk committee meets, they're going to go through the same exercise, but they're not even scientists. And we don't have clinical trials. All we have are macroeconomic models, which, depending on where you go to school, you get different macroeconomic models. And then in real time, they're supposed to make decisions about, let's not allow money to go for that asset because its price looks a bit high. Oh, my God. I mean, can you think the stakes at the FDA are, are high and aren't really science. Now imagine this risk council in effect in with television lights and television cameras discussing macroeconomic models in real time. So even, even in a best case scenario, that is perhaps the FDA, perhaps, that is you have scientists who are dealing with hard data, there's still disagreement over the nature side. I mean, getting a handle on risk itself is already a difficult challenge. Well, in part because people aren't careful about, I mean, the guy who was saying Avandi is okay, he was saying, look at the absolute risk. It was 0.3%, and then with Avandia, it's 0.4 of, of heart events. And, oh, well, that's, you know, but the relative risk, right, that's a huge increase because it's a very small denominator. So when you say it's a 30% increase, it's a 25% increase in heart attacks. Like, wow, that's a lot. But it's only 0.3 or 0.4. Is it worth it to incur some risk of that given the benefits of, of reducing diabetes? And one guy said yes, and the other guy said no. Is it worth it to reduce the amount of credit in the housing market, right, to have mandatory 20% down payment. No one can ever do anything else because the more credit you throw at a sector, the more likely it is prices will rise faster and that they're not sustainable and blah, 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 blah. So is there a right answer to that question? Well, there may be, but it's not a scientific question. It's a values question. And ask all those people who got houses with mortgages that weren't traditional during the boom, most of whom are still 
paying their mortgages and living in houses that they enjoy. Um, would if you were had been restricted to what everyone is now calling the right kind of mortgage, would you vote for or against those people that had restricted you? So again, throw politics in, right? So the the risk council meets, they decide they're going to squeeze this sector, but then there's an election, right? And and we 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 already went through this in real time, which is some people said, let's rein in Freddie and Fannie and the housing market. And they went to Congress, and Congress said, no, we need more access to housing. No American is ever for less housing uh, for, you know, who's elected. So uh, this strikes me as a fantasy. Um, and I think everyone involved knows it, but somehow this is what we have to do um, after crises happen. We have to anoint some people as God and then hope that they make sure stuff doesn't go wrong. But even assuming that all of these people are apprised of the relevant facts that are available to them, um, there is a tendency, and I think uh, uh, Nassim Nicholas Taleb talks about this in The Black Swan, which is uncertainty is something we can't do anything about it, so let's pretend it's not there. And so let's worry about the things we can measure, which his point is, well, that sort of makes uncertainty the thing that will come to dominate uh, the problems you have. That is, if you can deal with risk... Uncertainty becomes a, a, a more dominant problem. Correct. And then what does that mean? Well, then we wish we wish someone would figure out what to do about uncertainty, but that leads you to the logical conundrum you pointed out, which is you can't. In real time, we had a housing meltdown, attempts to deal with it as it was happening, and everyone identified the bubble after it happened. And a few people identified the bubble while it was happening, but those people also identified bubbles that weren't happening <laughs> over the last several decades. Right. I mean, Jagadish Gokhale and I uh, examined all the papers in the literature in real time that had econometric models of the housing market that purported to test with 95% confidence whether there was or was not a bubble. And we found none of the econometric papers said with 95% confidence that there was a bubble. So again, we, we had Noriel Robini from NYU saying there was a bubble, but as you alluded to, he has predicted 17 of the last two depressions, and so you'll get something right eventually. And even Bob Schiller, who was, uh, as the New York Times described him as Mr. Bubble, um, We've examined Bob Schiller's writings, and he said, yeah, I think there's a, a regional housing bubble, but it won't be nationwide, and it won't have that large macroeconomic consequences. And so if the people who are now most credited that we should have listened to them, if they in real time didn't see the big truck coming at them, then again, going forwards, whatever it is that's going to hit us the next time will not be perceived that accurately. Um, by the Systemic Risk Council or whatever set of people we uh, appoint to, to think about those things. Peter Van Doren is editor of Regulation magazine. You can subscribe to Regulation at Cato.org.